0: within a framework of each culture's beliefs and held views. I believe the difficulty that many Westerners have had in integrating the Dhamma is in attempting to develop an understanding of the Dhamma from the perspective of, of an unfamiliar culture. So it's, it's easily understandable that as any learning, um, anything, whatever it could be, it could be a concept on how to machine metal, will always be adapted in a small way or in a, in a very major way uh, to that particular culture's way of looking at things a good idea i mean for me as a carpenter homewood is they um, some of the best and finest tools ever made are japanese tools right mm-hmm. and again not not that they have that they're a greater culture but they 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 greatly uh, they greatly honor they greatly honor the work ethic, meaning whatever I'm doing, let me take it as far as I can. There's other issues in the Japanese culture that are reflective of that idea, but that, that, that makes the point. So, um, as I was practicing Tibetan Buddhism and getting very confused and, and uh, disappointed, I didn't understand it at the time, but there was such an emphasis for me to also be um, taking on the, the, uh, the perspective of a Tibetan And again, I didn't understand until I stopped trying to do it, that it was almost impossible for me because I was trying to to fit fit my Western ideals, ideology, into a Tibetan ideology. It just doesn't fit. Um, And so the Buddha taught an egalitarian Dhamma, which means somehow it seems to fit even this. Uh, It took me a while to restore the suttas to how I think the Buddha actually taught, which was just just this egalitarian dharma for each and every one of us and as buddhism moved to the west with a much more pragmatic view of the world many westerners attempted to integrate the teachings and the cultural cultural influences already present and again we thought the cultural influences were what inspired the dharma because they were loud and flashy in my case in tibetan buddhism uh I loved the temples. They had the most beautiful temples. They had you know, just rich in their mosaics. And they had the greatest clothes. They had the greatest hats. And what most impressed me was their big horns. And so this is what attracted me to that form of Buddhism. I'm only joking slightly. Uh, I really liked the trappings. But I didn't realize that the trappings of the culture were what I was trying to use to prove that I was practicing Buddhism when all I was was really doing was just adapting the trappings of that culture to prove it. With no perspective in which to understand the cultural influences, great confusion has arisen, including within me. This has led to the original teachings to be shrouded in mystery, hidden behind dogma and ritual, and lacking the context in which the original teachings were presented. Again, it's all understandable as as any teaching spreads throughout the world that has to be influenced by the culture. The Buddha, however, did not intend his teachings to be useful only for those with the right lineage, the right karma, the right teacher, the right empowerment, the right social position, or the right culture. And all of those were conditions that um, were placed on Buddhism, that I, the, the Buddhism that I was learning. You had to have one or all of the above in in order for you to succeed, beginning with the right lineage. You had to have the right teacher, and if you had the right teacher, then you could get into the rest of these. Was it it the right empowerment that this teacher was using and all the rest of it? Did it leave me in the right social position? And this was really important if you were practicing the Dharma in, not the Dharma, but you're practicing the Dharma in Southeast Asia, and Tom could probably talk more eloquently on, on that, but it's used still today to establish a rather rigid hierarchy within whatever that lineage happens to be. And that's really necessary because within that culture you have to have that, um, that stratification where even during the Buddha's time, he didn't employ that idea. In other words, all the teachers were on the same level as the Buddha and he always presented them the same way. And it, again, it's just what we're doing here. None of these teachers are any—I'm uh, not above these teachers at all. They, and as you, as those that were on our retreat uh, saw, and those that have heard their teachings have seen. And again, that's that's simply as what what the Buddha intended, and what the Dhamma should be able to develop. The Buddha taught a simple and direct path of developing lasting peace and happiness. This teaching is accessible and understandable to anyone who takes to the Dhamma wholeheartedly. In this study, there will be no analysis of concepts nor an attempt to prove the validity of the Buddhist teachings within any tradition that developed after the Buddha's death. It, it's simply irrelevant. What developed after the Buddha's death, death is obviously something that the Buddha simply couldn't have taught. Although there's... Um, it should be noted here, excuse me, that the there's an interesting... Explanation for just this, for all the adaptations that have happened and those that can't be easily hidden within culture are presented this way, that the Buddha gave his most important, most advanced teachings to disincarnate beings in a a disincarnate location usually called Tulsita, T-U-L-S-I-T-A, Tulsita Buddha's Heaven. And he gave those teachings because during the Buddha's time, Human beings were simply incapable of developing the Dhamma. And so he gave inferior teachings that the the uh, the less developed human beings could play around with during a lifetime but couldn't really get anywhere. And the real teachings were given to these these people in Tulsit to Heaven that were known as the Nagas. Nagas mean the snake people. And the snake people protected this higher advanced Buddhism, until humanity was ready to receive it, and that's when they transmitted this more advanced teaching into human populations that were ready to receive it, including at the time of Nagarjuna, Naga, Nagarjuna, an advanced soul who was able to make sense of this teaching that was so advanced that it took a human being 2,000 years past the Buddha's death to understand it. Does it make any I'm sorry, yeah. does it make any sense at all that, that he an, an awakened human being, an awakened human being would taught something, would have taught something that wasn't useful to the human beings of his time. Of course he didn't. That he spent the last 45 years of his life teaching anyone who would listen and who cared how to use this Dhamma and awaken. And again, his teachings say this over and over again. He he declares my Dhamma is meant for human beings in this lifetime to awaken in this lifetime. And next week's Sutta, we'll we'll begin to expand on it. I'm sorry,
1: Rom. Um,
2: the uh, the Abhidhamma was was adopted only at the at the second council. Yeah, that was no more than what uh, 100 200 years after his death.
0: Yeah, 150 to 200 years was this this That's third that. book of the lot that the, the the Pali canon that Ram is mentioning. Thank you, Ram. Uh, again, called the Abhidhamma that was used by the I always got to be a little bit careful with these things.
3: Mm.
0: Again, I'm, I'm never putting down another lineage just to point out the difference. The Abhidhamma is used by um, modern and ancient Theravadins to claim that what they're teaching was presented by the Buddha but altered in very magical, mystical and highly complicated ways. And I won't get in too deep into that. But it was, a again, a book written after the Buddha's passing then added to the Pali Canon to give it validity, uh, where when you compare just that book to almost any sutta, you'll say that this, is, this one of these couldn't be what the Buddha taught, uh, although there's some suttas that have been corrupted to that extent. Oh, thanks, Ron. The Buddha taught freedom from the delusion of stress and the underlying unsatisfactory of life common to all. Common to all. Again, it has to be relatable to our, our humanity, or it's not something the Buddha taught he, that, he taught that freedom or awakening can be achieved in this present lifetime. I, have grow, I hold great reverence for all the various Buddhist religions and schools that have developed since the passing of the Buddha. Many people have found meaning and purpose through these individually and culturally influenced um, adaptations. I didn't. I have found through my own direct inquiry that the teachings of the Buddha as preserved in the second book of the Pali Canon, the Sutta Pitaka are most effective in developing the Buddha's stated purpose. And so the first book is, is the Vinaya, which is rules for behavior, and the third book is this Abhidhamma. The second book is the Sutta Pitaka, where this, the, the actual teachings of the Buddha have been preserved, but also adapted and embellished within the Sutta. So it takes a little bit of doing to work through the embellishment. So in the Samsapa Sutta, the Buddha describes the purpose of his teachings. And what have I I taught? I teach the nature of dukkha, or the broad understanding of stress and suffering. I teach the origination of dukkha. and I teach that the cessation of dukkha is possible. Self-created stress and suffering is what we're learning to recognize and abandon, and so live a conflict-free life. I teach that the cessation of dukkha is possible. I teach that the Eightfold Path is the path leading to the cessation of dukkha. And this is why I have have taught these things. Because they are connected with the goal. They relate to the rudiments of the mindful life and a very specific refined mindfulness that the Buddha taught. Not the uh, modern application of mindfulness, excuse me. Which is wonderful, but rather haphazard and unfocused. In other words, mindfulness today is taught that You can have a mindfulness practice if you decide to be mindful of washing the dishes, for instance, and when you're driving your car, be mindful of that. In other words, to be mindful of everything in your life. Again, the problem with that type of mindfulness is simply holding in mind the things that have caused you the most stress and suffering, and often that only increases it, and now you're becoming confused why your so-called mindfulness practice isn't working and seemingly making things worse. And again, it's just that, it's just that you're putting more and more focus on your life that was confusing, confusing to say the least and can now only grow more confusing by that practice. So the Buddha... Hello, Brett!
4: Hello.
0: Good to see you. I'm gonna, I'll start over now.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Good to see you. How have you been? Hi. Good. How's the retreat? Uh, it was outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, let me go back to that. And why have I taught these things? Because they are connected with the goal. They are the rudiments of the mindful life. These teachings, these teachings develop disenchantment and dispassion. The two things that we need to look for. Am I becoming more dispassionate? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> am I becoming less enchanted with my life? Meaning am I becoming less enchanted with my thought process? Some would say, why would I want to do that? Well, it is just your thought process that got you to even consider doing something that might change your life or change your mind, at least. There's some reason why we're all sitting here and why we all come to practices like like this or maybe go to to a church on Sunday seeking some answers. The only reason why, because we think something is missing or perhaps, perhaps we're living in a life That seems hurtful towards ourselves and others and we don't understand it. So we look for answers and sometimes we end up at the Buddha's doorstep. These teachings develop disenchantment and dispassion. These teachings develop cessation of stress and unhappiness. Imagine that, that there's a way of living in the world to never have another unhappy or stressful moment. But it's up to us. These teachings bring calm and direct knowledge. Direct knowledge of what? direct knowledge of the nature of human suffering and our contributions to it. Why? So we can stop it. These teachings develop self-awakening. My awakening is not dependent on any outside agency or, or really on my behavior that needs to be approved by that outside agency. Of course, the way that I understand I'm awakening is to be very, very mindful of my behavior in a dispassionate way. These teachings develop self-awakening and unbinding. Unbinding from what? Unbinding from those views that would otherwise consider stress and suffering. Our own ignorance. It makes sense, doesn't it? These teachings develop self-awakening and unbinding. This is why I've taught them. That's it. And so we, we learn very quickly that this is a limiting practice. It's limiting our view to what is actually taking place in our world. We become a reference point to what's occurring, as we've talked about a lot over retreat. The Buddha continues. Therefore, your practice is contemplating and understanding. This is stress. This is the origination of stress. This is the cessation of stress. And this is the path leading to the practice of the cessation of stress. So how do we practice that? How do we incorporate that? Through understanding the rest of the teachings. Again, it takes a little bit more than just listening to me now incorporating and understanding what the Eightfold Path is. Anybody can do it. There's only eight factors. And then bringing that into this moment. So then, and this was, this is really what we spent ten classes and four and a half days on this past week. And then in our previous Wise, Restraint, Structure study, is just this, to bring ourselves into this moment, to have a calm mind rooted in jhana meditation and the right perspective to understand that if in this moment I am disturbed or distracted in any way, meaning I want this moment to be different than it is, or the people and events of my life to be any different than it is, or myself to be any different than it is, in short, anything to be different than it is, in this moment. I have literally lost my mind in relation to the Dhamma. And so what does that tell me? It simply tells me to remind myself, I'm causing stress in this moment because of the beliefs that I'm holding about myself in this moment. And to remind myself when it arises. This is stress. This is the origination of stress, meaning being enchanted and passionate about this moment. But there is cessation of stress possible in this moment. In this moment. It's not in the future, and obviously we can't change anything in the past, although we there's teachings out there that says we can. That say we can, not says we can. We can only change our minds in this moment, can't we? We can prepare ourselves to continue to change our minds and develop it in this moment. But we can't really change our minds ever, except in the present moment. Because that understanding is in this present moment. We recognize, and as the Buddha teaches, we know it. When our minds actually change because of Dharma practice, we know it. And that's an important part of practice. And it's it's another reason why we have a concentration practice rather than some other type of meditation practice that might be useful but doesn't develop concentration as this practice will again so that we can so be present for me to be present for this moment i have to have a mind that can be concentrating right and then from that well concentrated mind i can hold in these principles the original i words the original teachings of the buddha are the most practical teachings for developing lasting and peace and happiness still present in the world today and i would probably change that in another rewrite as, as ever present These teachings are presented to end all suffering in this lifetime. Again, I I emphasize that because the Buddha emphasized it over and over again. It should be noted here that the Buddha did not intend to develop a religion or worship of himself or his his Dhamma. He did not create a doctrine to be followed blindly. Put aside any ideas you may have of of the Buddha as a religious, supernatural, or mystical being. The Buddha was simply a human being who, through his own right, right effort and investigation, awakened to these truths. And awakening in this sense, means developing full human maturity. What other type of teaching could be most valuable except to fully develop, to become a human being, a fully mature human being? And, and maturity simply means, I've matured, I understand what it means to be a human being. And why, would, why is this teaching necessary rather than a college degree or at least a high school diploma or just life in general? Because it seems that human beings are afflicted with something. Afflicted with what? Afflicted with ignorance of four noble truths. Well, why aren't we born with that? We aren't. The question why, and if you start taking that too far, you'll never get back to finding out the effects of it. The effects are here. Ignorance of Four Noble Truths is what the Buddha discovered is the problem. Why? is irrelevant. They're here. They're present. If stress and suffering is due to ignorance of Four Noble Truths, Siddhartha Gautama, the human Buddha, teaches us. So again, he's narrowing and limiting what we're supposed to be all about. We're not supposed to gather knowledge of every single thing there is in the world or every single spiritual or philosophical idea. It's impossible. It's endless, and the list is endless for a reason. It keeps us distracted, rather than focused on the Buddha's Dharma and developing just this, just what he taught. The Buddha taught a simple and straightforward method of understanding the truth of lasting peace and happiness. The path leading to lasting peace and happiness is the Eightfold Path, and no other path, but it's it's well-contained and easily understood. Jhana meditation is one factor of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path can be developed by anyone, regardless of current religious practice. Some established religions have much fear arising from misunderstanding meditation and the investigation of the nature of stress and unhappiness. The Eightfold Path can be developed by anyone seeking a more mindful life or simply a practical way of understanding understanding themselves on a deep and profound level. As a practice, what is learned in this study is to be practiced. There is nothing in the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Path that has any magical qualities of bringing instant understanding. The meditation used is most effective when developed within the framework of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path provides the perspective, structure, and direction necessary for lasting peace and happiness to be experienced. To be experienced. Just hold on for a second. Okay, I'm going to stop you. The, the, you read the rest of the introduction. I think that suffices. Um, so just hold these principles in mind. Uh, well, the instructions that I'm going to li- I'm going to give right now are rooted in uh, the four foundations of mindfulness that we're going to begin to study uh, next week so you'll understand uh, the provenance of this. But it's, again, it's rooted in what the Buddha taught. This is how we meditate. So now is the time to meditate. Now is the time to set mindfulness on the breath and the body and do jhana. We are sensitive and conscious beings. The purpose of jhana meditation is to increase concentration by not being distracted by the arising and passing away of feelings and thoughts. Find your relaxed meditation posture. Sitting erect, Gently close your eyes and gently close your mouth. In holding yourself softly, gently, lovingly, allow yourselves to settle into your rooms, settle onto your seats, settle into your bodies, and settle into your minds. Notice the sensation of breathing in your body. Become mindful of your inhalation and your exhalation. Your in breath and your out breath. While remaining mindful of your in breath and your out breath, notice that feelings and thoughts arise and pass away. Notice the arising and the passing away of your breath in your body. When you find that you're distracted by feelings or thoughts, gently acknowledge the distraction. And return mindfulness to your breathing. Relaxing your thoughts. Remaining mindful of the arising and the passing away of your breath in your body. And we will continue to meditate for 20 minutes. With callbacks every 5 minutes. Notice the arising and the passing away of feelings and thoughts while remaining mindful of the arising and the passing away of your breath and your body. Notice the arising and the passing away of feelings and thoughts, while remaining mindful of the arising and the passing away of your breath and your body. Notice the arising and the passing away of feelings and thoughts, while remaining mindful of the arising and the passing away of your breath and your body, and we'll continue to meditate for five more minutes. Take a moment to notice the quality of your mind. Be at peace with your mind. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Um, so that there was a lot of words, and someone told me once that I read rather quickly. Uh, More than once. More than once. It didn't do any good. Uh, but all of that uh, it comes down to... The, the, the Buddha taught one method, uh, a very specific method called jhana meditation for a very specific purpose to deepen concentration so that we can use that concentration to incorporate and hold in mind that what mindfulness means, the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path as our path towards awakening. So, there's, again, as I said earlier, there's an infinite number of meditation methods that may be beneficial in some areas um, and that you may be enamored with, but they're different than what the Buddha taught. And So, if you want to develop the Buddha's Dhamma, he taught one method, and he taught it again for a very specific reason. And all of that to say is, if you want this, just do this, and it's very simple. We're going to, the rest of this, 28-class structured study is not that long because jhana meditation is hard to learn. It's very easy to learn. It's just being mindful of your breath. But the nuances of it take us to the very depths of our psyche. And how to do that and how to use that concentration to change the way we're thinking is, again, it's the whole point of the Buddha's Dhamma and the whole point of this structured study. So um, those of you that have been practicing with us, for a while, maybe we could talk about the benefits of incorporating Jhana meditation uh, and those that haven't. And again, any questions you might have after study and those that are new, um, how this meditation was tonight. And if you have any questions about that, let's go online to, to Jane. How are you tonight, Jane? I'm fine, John. All I can say is I've noticed a difference since I started to meditate. So, Me too. Thank you, Jane. Brian,
5: how are you? Well, John, thank you. Um, I, I don't know where to start with that question. <laughs> um, it it has made such a a radical change in my life, and and the the amount of concentration that I carry with me now on a moment by moment basis is just astounding. Yeah. And what that what that brings is just a such a deep level of calm and peace on a moment by moment basis. And I and and just just getting back from the tree and I gotta tell you, the path to enlightenment is memory foam. Memory foam. (laughs) (laughs) So so much more enjoyable on the memory foam when I got home. But uh, like just just such a wonderful experience last week, and then bringing that back home and back into the world, and just seeing that difference It's just it's so meaningful. So thank you.
0: Thank you for being such a vital part of that, Brian. I'm a teacher, Tom.
5: Uh, John, I'm sorry. Oh, I, hey Deb, uh, I, I'm sorry. I just I have to leave. Uh, I just wanted to let you know. Okay, um,
0: I'm, I'm glad you joined us tonight. You all right? Yes,
5: yes, I'm good. Okay.
0: Uh, yes, sorry. <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye right, bye. Bye-bye. Dhamma teacher Tom. New Dharma teacher Tom.
6: Yep. Number um, seven,
0: that's our lucky number, you know.
6: Um, yeah, so for me, the, the key difference for me in my sort of meditation journey um, has been seeing jhana meditation as taking refuge Um, rather than seeing it as a chore or something that you know i have to um that i I aspire you know i'm i'm seeking something some kind of um mystical experience um it's simply a chance for me to sort of give my mind a break and rest yeah. my mind. And that, that concept of taking refuge in that sense is really helpful because we all we all want to take, you know, we're all seeking different ways to to take a break, right? And yeah. and, and there's so many products and this, that, and the other that we can buy that claim that they're going to give us that, that break that we need. And yet, actually... I'm oh, sorry to
0: interrupt you, but what are we taking a break from, Dharma teacher?
6: We're taking a break from um, from... Um, compulsive thinking, and we're we we're, we're taking a break from our conditioned mind, effectively, um, and and we don't need to buy a product. We don't need to you know sign up to an expensive, I don't know, course or whatever. Or, or you know, we we can just do it here and now by by um, sitting. <laughs> and meditating. Um so that that's that's been really really helpful for me. Um I have a very quick question if that's okay.
0: Yeah, it's gonna um, be a slow you, question.
6: Okay. <laughs> um for so you and perhaps I'm not sure which other teachers are in the room, but I know Ram is there. Um and, and uh, anyone else?
0: David um, and Kevin as well.
6: Oh, okay, they're all here. Just curious, does can anyone recommend any books which talk about the buddha's life and the more sort of historical accounts i'm not talking here about i don't want to sort of um uh you you know learn about somebody's very sort of subjective interpretation of um of 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 buddhism from a particular you know uh, standpoint but more um, anyone can recommend any autobiographies or something that's kind of a dispassionate um, yep. historical account of the Buddha's life and maybe even how Buddhism has evolved since then. Just wondering if you could recommend anything or yep. if anyone two, anyone else had any
0: suggestions. Two teachers that I would recommend and really probably the only two are Richard Gombrich, G-O-M-B-R-I-C-H mm-hmm. um, The two I'm going to mention are both very scholarly they're a little bit thick but he's less so than the other uh, that I'm going to mention but uh, anything that Gombrich wrote um, is excellent and um, you know, from something 2,600 years ago, probably uh, as, nothing was as better researched than his work. And the other is a gentleman named Carl Olson who happens to, O-L-S-O-N, who happens to be my cousin, but, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about it in just a moment, uh, he's very, very thick, but he's brilliant. He's a, um, he's probably got an IQ uh, slightly higher than mine, even. <laughs> uh, wow. he, he actually had an Oxford chair for a while, so, <coughs> And he was a, a professor of comparative Middle Eastern religions, or Eastern religions, if you can believe it. Um, I can't understand why anybody want to take up that as a scholarly study, but but he did, and his books are excellent, but very thick to read. So anything by him, uh, and it's just an interesting sidelight that I was always impressed by my cousin's writings, and uh, I, saw him, I saw him at a funeral for his father, uh, one of my favorite uncles, and I just, i was been dying to ask him this question, because we don't, Talk. We weren't really close as kids, uh, and I wanted to know how often he meditates and this and that. And say, I said, his name was his uh, family name was Butchie. We called him Butchie, which he hated. So I had to call him Butchie <laughs> instead of Doctor Carl. Uh, he was a doctor. Uh, I said, Butchie, what? So how long do you meditate, and what do you do? He said, man, I ain't got any time for that. <laughs> this brilliant, he probably knows more about Buddhism than anybody in the world. And I don't got time for meditation, but
2: you
4: know,
0: he lived a life. Uh, so, yeah, Richard Gombrich or Cole Olson. Uh, anybody else have any, anybody they would recommend?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, just for, for Tom's uh, uh, help, um, Gombrich uh, founded the uh, Oxford uh, yeah, sure. Buddhist Study Center. Yeah. Um, and he now has an offshoot. I think he resigned from that. He now has an offshoot that actually... Uh, teaches courses in Pali, in reading the, oh, the Suttas in Pali. Uh, and it's uh, he, he wrote a, a really nice little book on, on why you should be reading the suttas in Pali. Really? Uh, yeah.
0: I didn't, I, I was surprised. He, I'm surprised he's still going.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as I know, he's still going. And uh, his assistant is um, Alec, uh, a fellow by the name of Alexander, but, uh, yeah, his, his writing is very good. There's yeah. also a Dutch author who's very good in um, the actual, uh, in, in the historical context of, of the Buddhist life. Um, and I forget what his name is. He...
0: Send it to me, I'll send it to Tom.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out and uh, I'll send you it. You can
0: send it, you got Tom's
2: email, but send it to me too, please. Yeah. So this, there's, uh, there, there is, there's good stuff out there. Uh, but yeah, it, ends, it It tends to be more scholarly, and uh, sometimes you kind of wonder somebody who has, especially somebody like Gombrich, who has, you know, spent his whole life um, studying and teaching uh, Buddhism, um, and um, you just don't. See, and and still, you don't see what. Uh, in in him and in his in the way he teaches uh, what we teach here, it's a, it's yeah. a very odd doctor, But he's a wonderful guy, and, and, it,
0: and yeah, it's still and, very useful. Right. If if you want to get more of repro- a both of those authors would be very useful if you want to try to get a, a deeper understanding of of the um, what what the conditions were during the Buddha's time and even um, the my cousin gets more into the the speculative influences, but I think they're real influences, because the Buddha was on the the, the major trade routes during his time, and how because of that trade route, all these different influences kept that uh, fed northern India, just prior to the Buddha's birth, and then had an influence throughout his lifetime. And, and so it you know again it's thick reading, but it's really helpful, in understanding why why this human why this man human you know a human being. Actually, came to these conclusions and the understanding that backdrop is a uh, help. It's not necessary for everyone to read those, but again, uh, if you want to get deeper into the Buddha's life, again, as much as we can understand, those are two of the best, I think. So, uh, a yeah, great there question, you. Tom. Thank you. Brett, how you doing tonight? Good to see you again. How you doing, everybody? Um, Go good to be here. Oh, I got you. Thanks for your teaching. Um, <laughs> Uh,
3: what was what, the question again?
0: Who are you? <laughs> Who uh, it's, when are you?
3: <laughs> um, no, any, anything
0: you want to talk about? We're talking, how's your jhana meditation? What has it done for you in the was, 50, a, 60 I, years you've been?
3: I, I didn't meditate this morning, so coming tonight was Go home. Uh, was, was, was good, and uh, you know, return to your breath and uh, right effort, and the Eightfold Path is. <clears throat> is the way to go and uh i
1: aspire to do more of it so yeah me too Glad to be here
0: great you're here peter do you mind if i put you on camera go right ahead peter how was your meditation tonight you you can ask anything or say anything you want
1: uh, it was good it, it's been a while since i've used the technique i've yeah. I recall it from i think six years ago was when i last that's when it was when yeah. i last uh had a class with you but uh i've had a lot of uh Stress in my life and dealing with a lot of different things and trying to pull myself out of a very deep hole and uh, This helps a little bit, you know, just to at least get my head back into some form of uh, Equilibrium, so to speak. So I think the meditation practice is worthwhile Uh, I try to do something every day uh, whether it's exactly like we're doing now or something slightly different, I do a lot of reading, I do a lot of praying, and uh, so I try a lot of different uh, different media, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And uh, this was very helpful. So thanks, John. I appreciate
3: it.
0: Yeah, thank you, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Um, I think you know that these the meditation method. There's recordings of these on the website uh, that you can listen to. And if you if you're if you want to get back into this practice. Read their welcome page again. I'm, I'm sure you probably did already, but that w- that will get you back going in this direction and you know what what to look for. And uh, I hope you continue to join us. It works. Mm-hmm. Thank you for bringing me father. Yeah, Thank you for having such great. a lovely daughter. She was a she was a light of the retreat. She really was. Oh jeez. <laughs> I'll get to you in a minute. EJ, do you mind if I put you on camera? Sure, no problem. <laughs> welcome, EJ. Thank you.
3: Um, that was an excellent experience. I've Last time I sat in silence was probably in February, so um, it's been some time, and I, I feel like there's been a lot of buildup of stress and, and uh, conflict. And um, what I really want to, to, to try to achieve is focusing on breathing techniques. Yeah, um, And I think that is, today tonight it, it was happening, um, but I think and yeah, more encouragement or, or learning more breathing structures would be probably
0: helpful. Yeah, this is a, a, about as simple as you can get. And I used to teach different forms of... You know, back when I was trying to figure things out, rebirthing was a big deal. and There were all different types of uh, breathing techniques that were supposed to bring up past lives and past trauma. And they worked pretty good at doing that. <laughs> um, but this meditation, the, the, the breath that we use is very simple. It's just however you find your breath... That's your meditation breath. And then understand that there's a, a, a larger framework to that, that that breath meditation supports. And again, it's that entire framework that an awakened human being taught to end all self-inflicted stress. And it works, right? Right, right? Yeah. Uh, so I hope you continue to join us. If you ever have any questions, anyone, you know, I'm, I'm accessible through the website, becoming-buddha.com. And again, go to the, go to the website... The meditation uh, recordings are on there that you can listen to. Uh, I suggest, if you can, twice a day, but start with short periods that are comfortable for you rather than decide, oh, i got to meditate for 20 minutes twice a day like they did not. Two or three or five minutes in the morning and about 12 hours later, and very quickly you'll have an effective practice. And if you can continue to join us uh, and bring Neil with you, you'll you'll see. I mean, the... uh, the last thing that the Buddha, well, one not the last thing, one thing that the Buddha taught his cousin, whose name was Ananda, who asked his cousin, the Buddha, what's the most important thing about what you're teaching? And, you know, he thought it was this and that, and the Buddha says, the most important aspect of my Dhamma is the Sangha. Meaning he was telling his cousin that we need each other, and our own, our collective experiences to develop the Dhamma. Our past retreat was a good example of that, because while my teachings are always brilliant, it takes the collective sharing of everyone to, to really nuance nuance out the, or flesh out. What's the right word? That's the right word. Really, how the Dhamma works in each of our lives, and uh, it was just remarkable on that front. But that's where our classes are like this too. So we learn from each other. It's not just me, and uh, and it, because of that, or because of the way we learn, it's through our own direct experience that this sharing of experience is so helpful. So I'm so glad you joined us, and Thank I hope so you join great. us again. That no, my teacher Kevin. Yeah, wait, wait, wait! Before I get to you, the light of the sangha, Laura. Oh, yeah. How you like that for yeah. pressure?
7: Yeah. Oh my goodness! I out no, my I'm so if grateful I, to. <laughs> yeah, I'm so grateful to be here and have my my dad here. It means yeah. so much to me. Um, All of unfortunately, us. Unfortunately, my family has to see like the dark side of me, so it's like they bear the brunt of that. That's like, what families
0: are for, and they love you anyway, right?
7: Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, especially over the past retreat experience which was wonderful I'm realizing like Tom was saying that the meditation for me it's not like just something I do or a chore or something to cross off my health and wellness list it's kind of becoming like I don't know how to describe this in a better way but like a, a good friend that yeah, I can take yeah. refuge in like that's yep. how I felt just now And that, you know, I was talking about it with David earlier that the loss and the pain and the fear and despair uh, resulting from, you know, impermanence are really a profound opportunity for me to appreciate my life and the lives of others. And it really does provide, you know, potential for change. You know, reorient, reorienting your mind towards peace and yeah. equanimity, mm. and um, rather
0: than the defilements, right? Rather, yeah. rather
7: than the defilements, and that helps me refrain from harming myself or from harming others, you know, in any way. So it all goes back to this, and anyone can do it, you know. Yeah. Anyone can do it.
0: Yeah. Even me really i i firmly believe if i can do it any human mm-hmm. being can do it you know why not and and siddhartha felt the same way you know when he just said it in here and you're proving it thank you lord so am my teacher kevin john how are you tonight i'm good thank you for asking nobody else asked mm-hmm. nobody cares about
3: me <laughs> nice to see everybody online tommy Brian. jane we'll see you there in the corner. <laughs> Uh, thank you for a uh, terrifically meaningful retreat over the weekend. And I think uh, everyone would agree we really uh, really dug in this weekend and had a really good opportunity to stretch out our practice and space it out. Uh, your question was meditation and. You know, what What we learn about, as we said this weekend, he used to say, you know, get to know your own mind. And, and that's sort of what this is about. You, you, you understand sort of how our attention coagulates and responds to the world and, and the truth of the world. And we had another teacher a long time ago, Matt did, and he used to say discovering the truth is life's greatest adventure. And I think that's, by meditating, it allows you to really... Uh, to, to live and, and to experience that. And you can also be gentle with yourself, as Tom taught us. It, it, it really allows you to get to know yourself, your mind, and it wouldn't stop. So, thanks.
0: Yeah, that's it. Thanks. <laughs> Don't <Dama>, my teacher wrong. <Ram. sighs>
2: um... For me, meditation for a long time has been a chore um, and, and a struggle because, uh, frankly, I wasn't listening and uh, <laughs> I was doing it the wrong way for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, and and it's just what the, the baggage that I've been carrying around from all my previous practices, you know, just couldn't, wouldn't let go of, of the, the whole idea that, that it was all about stopping thinking. Because uh, you know I was I was taught for I don't know like 40 years, um, and it took a while to, to let that go and and, to, uh, and and once it starts working, uh, it automatically becomes not a chore anymore. Uh, just, just the just the, the simple fact of of seeking a bit of seclusion. No, uh, climbing it, and for me, it's just climbing into the truck and closing the door and um, sitting down. Uh, so that's uh, that's been a, a pretty long journey for me, uh, but it's it's getting to the point now where the the greater pleasure is is overriding the lesser pleasure. Mm.
3: Uh-huh.
2: I wanted to, I wanted to uh, uh, share a little, uh, a little thing that uh, the, the retreat itself was just, just out of this world, or in this world. <laughs> um, but uh, the, earlier today, I was going over the pictures.
0: Uh, send me the pictures. Anybody so, got pictures? Send yeah, them to me, please. Uh, I think
2: it was. Uh, uh, Kevin Kevin Roach that, that sent me the pictures of uh, the trip to the, uh, to the waterfall and oh, yes. you know go through the pictures and, and you know, looking at who's there and, and you know, there's the lanky Brit sticking out of the water. <laughs> that <laughs> bloody bloke uh, you know um, Lauras there who's um, there. And Looking off to the side and, 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 and literally saying to myself, You know, who's the old bald guy in the, in the, in the corner there? <laughs> and all of a sudden it really hit, like, Oh shit, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: It, yeah, you it, couldn't blame it on me anymore, yeah, could you? It
2: was, it, was, it was actually a shock. And uh, it's happened a few more times in my life where I've either heard a recording of, of my voice. Uh, or, or seen a video or, or a picture from an odd angle. And it's a shock. And <laughs> To recognize, a little bit this after, is me, this
0: is mine, this yeah, is what I am? Exactly, exactly.
2: <laughs> and then I, I thought to myself, that is really strange because I see this body every morning in the bathroom mirror. How come that's not a shock? She it should be. And all of a sudden, the, the Nagara Sutta clicked in my head. What I'm doing in when I'm looking in the bathroom mirror is I'm already changing my perception with the idea that I have of who I am, of oh, what this body is like. And I, it just and what it's for. Yeah, and what it's for, and that truly hit me like a ton of bricks. This is the, this is that feedback. Loop yeah, hit where it. my perception gets colored by my idea of who I am or who it is or what this body is, and um, and then that keeps. You know, it changes the perception, and that perception changes the idea again of, yep. of who I think I am, and it keeps rolling along like that.
0: And our thought provides a momentum for it, yeah, own thinking, consciousness.
2: Uh, that was just amazing. Okay. And, you know, Good. And, I, 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 and it's I, and I know
0: it's utterly it, obvious when you see it.
2: But. Right, and and, uh, and I've had these kind of thoughts before, but I never hooked it into this is that that feedback, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is how it happens, and it happens instantly. It, it happens, happens within all you all the time. It happens within me, mm-hmm. you know, and it happens in that space between, you know, the photons hitting the retina, and and somehow, you know, this this information gets into the back of my head, and, it, and then I start to process it. And in the meantime, <laughs> I've already changed it. <laughs> so that's just kind of that, what I mean.
0: so. What Rama is describing. Uh, and he's been describing it in various ways for five or six days now,
2: oh.
0: is, the, the, the and we all felt it, is this, this palpable feeling of knowing that it's working. And there's nothing more self-encouraging than that, and, it, and it's just like that. And the, it seemed terribly conf, complicated, it seemed monolithic at times, oh, wow. and you kept going, and you kept going, and they finally mm-hmm. yielded. Yeah. And when you when you see it, it's not monolithic at all. It's just right. this.
2: When understanding how
0: <laughs> there's nothing to it. Nothing. It's like when I teach dependent origination. Now it's like the most obvious. How can nobody? How could you be so stupid? No, I mean, it, when I it took me about a hundred times. So I don't know how many times so to just just reading it. saying this is nonsense. This is nonsense. But I knew it was what the Buddha taught. That this is what he awakened to. And finally, you know, when I put the other pieces together, yeah. From ignorance of Four Noble Truths, all manner of stress and suffering arises. Who can't understand that? Mm-hmm. But I couldn't for a long time either mm-hmm. until you developed the, the right context and
4: perspective. Thank you, Dhamma Teacher Ram. Mm-hmm.
0: Dhamma Teacher David.
4: Thank you. What you learn is context.
7: Yeah.
4: You can meditate, and you can chant, and you can read memorize without context of why we're doing this meditation dependent origination doesn't mean anything But once you put down the book and you have personal experience the context makes the meditation make sense
0: (laughs) you know why you're doing it
4: You know why you're doing it. It gives a purpose to it. If I wanted to just relax and end my day, I could drink a half bottle of vodka, as I used to. Or you can have context to what this practice is. It's a gentle, slow process of rewiring the way you think of what this reality is and it's not magical and mystical, it's simply becoming mindful of each moment. And that's what I went through, taming the bronco of a mind that just didn't understand and wasn't doing it well, to the education I was going through in the first year, to then, Experience it. And that's the context. So thank you.
0: Took a little while, but worth it, huh? Yeah. Thank you, my friend. I'm a teacher, Matt.
8: Good to see you, John. Good to be here with everybody. Um, just going around the room and listening to everyone share <laughs> Everybody did pretty good. I they, they think they covered it well. Um, but I'd just like to add that, you know, like David said, it's, it's context. So, you know, the Buddha taught that the first noble truth is as a consequence of having a human life, there's stress. Get over it the second noble truth and 99% of what we experience as stress is self-inflicted that we are creating the causes and conditions of stress in our lives inside our own mind and that through becoming mindful of Our breath in our body becoming mindful of thoughts arising and passing away becoming mindful of feelings arising and passing away becoming mindful of the quality of our minds we can understand our contribution to stress in our lives which is just an absolute gift so I'm looking forward
2: to this structured study. Yeah, me too.
8: Thank you,
0: Matt. Um, so we'll continue this on Saturday, um, the structured study. Uh, we'll begin with a, I think it's a five class, uh, five classes on the satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, and then we'll get into other, other good stuff, and you'll hear all our other teachers as we move along. Um, is there any other questions or comments? Okay, just by the way, just so you know, the dates for next year's retreat are up. They're the same as this year with the uh, addition of one extra day. And next year's retreat <laughs> will run from the 28th of June to the 3rd of July, meaning we're going to be ending on the, the Tuesday. Wait, Monday. The, the Monday before the 4th of July. So it's a really nice time. And this was, um, I think it was the first time, maybe the first retreat, but we were, this was the first time we we're up here at the beginning of the summer. And the place was just gorgeous. I was looking at, uh, I was kind of walking around, my head up all the time. I was afraid I was going to kind of bang into things just because the trees were just so beautiful, uh, and I had never seen them them that that fall. And everything else was just just so lush. It was almost like a uh, when you got down to the down by the creek, it was like a rainforest down there. Um, so put those dates aside. No excuse to not come to our retreat. We we reserved a hundred beds for next year, so we'll see what <laughs> happens. And your tent no. yeah they have no, that tent. might be an option, too. <laughs> uh-oh LinkedIn, john you're getting noticed He was looking i gotta stop i gotta see who's looking at my profile
1: <laughs> might be that pretty girl
2: Oh my god.
0: <laughs> we're finishing with, with meta as we always do so again take a moment to Gently close your eyes and gently close your mouth and take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. These are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen. Those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, Spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one, having clarity of vision and being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world.
2: Thank
6: you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, John. Peace. Thank you. Thank you.
0: See you
4: all
6: soon. Thanks, John. See you, everyone. Thanks, Good
2: Bob. Good night, Tom. Good night,
4: Tom. Good night, See you, Brian. Bye, Brian.
2: See, you, Brian. See you, Jane. Stay out
4: the subway. Thank you for listening.
0: I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming Buddha dot com. Thank you. Peace.